Hi, I'm Bridget Metcalf. Join me each week as I chat with leaders from around the world, shining a light of global issues that affect us all, so the truth may be known. Don't miss out on the conversation. Go to your favorite podcast streaming service now to subscribe to Truth Be Known. For upcoming podcasts, go to truthbeknown.org and enjoy the conversation. Hello friends, this is Bridget Metcalf and thank you for joining us today with Truth Be Known. I want to introduce you to Tammy, who has lived in Southeast Asia since 2013 and has made her dreams a reality. Tammy's heart beats for those trapped in the red light areas of her city and is determined to link with others and create a safe place so that they can learn to laugh and feel again and be self-sustaining. There's these two streets that have 58 cafes and we go sit with them in their rooms and share the food. We always ask if we can pray with them. We've been able to delve a little deeper into their lives, gain their trust. They see the love of Jesus. Some of them have experienced healing through us praying with them and they've opened up and shared that they want a different life, but they just don't know how, they don't know where that will come from. So these women are in mind as we look to launch our safe house. I want you to take a listen today as she shares her personal journey as a mother and a wife, navigating through her ups and downs, highs and lows, and yet seeing her dreams fulfilled. Enjoy the conversation as we dive into this week's episode of Truth Be Known. That is Yeah, I thought I would lose weight, you know. Like, take away my taste and smell. I'm going to use that as a springboard for weight loss, but it does not work that way. (laughs) I was thinking the same thing. I was like, oh, if you lose your taste or smell, you're going to lose your appetite. But it sounds like that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Mm. Okay. I had a reverse effect. I thought there should be at least one good thing that happens in the middle of that COVID, (laughs) you know? There should be like one. Family, Family unity. It couldn't have come at a better time for us to just, when you have a senior, you know, they're usually gone all the time. You never see them. They're out with their friends. They're doing school functions. This has been totally different for us. We've had more of him, seen more of him than we have in a long time. So, Wow. That's that's good. That's That's a positive. Definitely. Especially since that's kind of his last year with you. Tammy, how are your boys doing with all of the lockdown and having to not be able to do online school in comparison to being in person? Actually, they've really enjoyed it. That's been a nice blessing. Both of my boys have said, if we go back to school in person and have an opportunity to stay online, then they would like to choose to stay online. Wow, really? So they actually are getting along great. I wouldn't say that before COVID started, there was more of a, maybe a disinterest Uh, between them just because their ages are so vastly different but actually they have been I would say closer than ever before what's the dynamics like you you have four children so you have two daughters older daughters and then two boys and with the two girls both away back in the United States what is a dynamic like to have just two boys in the house and no you know you're outnumbered now I am outnumbered I'm the only girl even my dog is a boy so (laughs) I, I commented to the family the other day, the noises, the smells, the everything is so <laughs> different with just boys than our girls. So 
there are before maybe they would have tried to be more polite with the girls around and they've just thrown all that out the window they're just mm -hmm. having a good old boy time together the three is of it them. more emotional and everything or less emotional with the boys being there and i don't know i only have boys so i only know what it's like to have more the i was always outnumbered you know what what is it like for you with yeah. the Yes, I think our household runs a little bit smoother with just boys, which is surprising to me because our, we have really great girls. They're not highly emotional. They're, I think they're very easy, low maintenance girls, but there is a difference on how our, our house functions. <laughs> of course, we're all very sad. We miss them terribly. Mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. Yeah, I think things got a little bit easier in decision-making, you know, the boys are, they just don't have opinions too strongly about where we're going to eat or what we go do to hang out. So I, I just have to ask this question. I know it's off subject, but my question to you is, is it easier to raise girls when they're younger or the boys easier when they're younger? Which one for you? What would you say? I would say for girls, younger was easier. Once they hit about 12 years old, I started noticing a little bit heightened emotion and conflict. With the boys, by far they were harder when they were younger and they're much easier as older kids. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I'd that's keep them alive I, when they were little, the boys. That's what I felt with my boys. I always felt like they were jumping off roofs or, or so adventurous. They were going to kill themselves, you know, and then now they are so fun to talk to and watch and hear what they're doing. So I thought that, but I never had daughters, so I was never sure on that. Um, but I, I wanted to ask you, Tammy, how yeah. long have you been in the country? When did you guys first arrive? We got here in 2013, and we have lived in several different cities, trying to find that sweet spot of ministry and learning the language. We needed to um, have an official language school versus our original intent to learn by a tutor wasn't really effective for us. And we were homeschooling at the time in the States. We had always homeschooled for the purpose of moving overseas one day and just feeling like we have no, you know, nothing will hold us back from going to the hard places. And so that was how we chose to, to homeschool. But then once we were here, there are no homeschooling groups. There are no co-ops. There are no field trips. And all of a sudden things became very lonely socially. It was really hard on my kids. I was reaching burnout and we reached out to our leadership to see if we could put our kids in traditional school just to help them make friends. The city that we lived in was so large that it would take hours to get from one place to another just across the city. That's not an exaggeration. It takes a long time and you can't just go visit a friend very quickly. So if they did make a friend at church that could speak English, there wasn't an opportunity to go hang out on a Saturday or a Tuesday night. So friendships were hard to come by for our kids. And so we did ask if we could put them into an international school. But the only affordable one in our area uh, was going to mean another move. And so we decided to do that and then enroll into an actual language school. So are, is the entire family fluent in your language? I would say uh, my first daughter became fluent in sign language, actually, while she was here. She couldn't roll her R's and felt embarrassed. She didn't really have a great opportunity to learn the language, especially because we were just adjusting. She was only here for three years, and so she just chose to learn a different language, and she excelled. My second daughter, she didn't start learning this language until, I would say, her 11th grade year. 
she was learning Korean because the student body is mostly Korean. And in order to fit in with them, she needed to do that. So she actually ended up learning both of those languages before she left. And wow. My boys, they are required to take it at school, but there is little opportunity for them to use it just because they're, especially with COVID, they're home. So no, my children are not fluent in the language, but they have learned a language being here. My son is learning Japanese. <laughs> so I feel like they've at least added a language. It just isn't the same one that we speak here. In our city, we do not have an English ministry that we're doing. Everything is done in the language. So whereas other cities we've lived in, we've been able to do ministry in English. So yeah, it's been a challenge and we've been stretched, but we have, I feel comfortable living here for as long as I need to, knowing that I can say what I need to say. Mm -hmm. And they're gracious people. They're patient with us. I think they really love the fact that we're trying. And so mm -hmm. they heap grace on us. What drew you to the country? We actually knew that the people, the majority religion here was a group of people we wanted to serve. I've known that since I was 12. The Lord had made that very clear to me early on. And so as we talked about where to go, we really were looking at other Asian countries. We knew that Asia was where we wanted to end up, but didn't realize the, the population here is the largest nation in the world with that populace. And so we also knew a family that served here, had raised their kids here. They were successful in raising children in this context. And that's what drew us to this country were those two factors. We knew that we could bring our kids here and trust that they would be safe and be able to have the kind of upbringing we wished for them. Yeah. So we just applied and we were accepted and on our way. And we've been here since 2013. And I think we've definitely found our city and what we're doing here with pastoral training and working with people groups that are not seen by other, by the church yet. We have a lot of inroads. When I first met you, we were, uh, we are on a TARP team together, which is trafficked and at, and at risk people groups. Um, and so I met you in the Philippines and this people group that are marginalized and even victimized has really been on your heart. And from that, a lot of things have developed. When we first met, you were just kind of getting your feet wet. You had a heart for this, um, but now it's developed into something bigger. Can you kind of explain to me what's been happening and how it has just organically come together? So in 2017, we were on furlough and praying about what I was going to be able to do once we moved back. My husband's ministry is more centered on just working with males and not really having a place for me outside of maybe helping with logistics. And so I really felt the Lord had something special for me to work with and asked the Lord to reveal it. And very soon after I started praying that, the Lord gave me two dreams. That's one way that he has very clearly spoken to me since I was a little girl. And so I knew that he was calling me to work with uh, women who are trafficked and exploited. I can't say I grew up too much with influence from that ministry. I was an MK in Africa. My parents um, worked with a lot of different ministries, but it wasn't until I got married that my mom started focusing on this group of women in Honduras. And so I was aware of it. I can't say I had a heart for it. Um, I had done a, an intercession seminar where we prayed for the women, we prayed for the purchasers, 
but we didn't, I really didn't see myself any more than just an intercessory prayer warrior for them. So when I had these dreams, the, the dreams were so, so real. They just caught me. It was very clear that I was to work with children and women, helping them escape the reality of their bondage, as well as rehabilitation. So those two dreams, the Lord gave me a timeline. He gave me some clear instructions. But when I got back here, I didn't have any contacts. I didn't have any open doors that I could see. And I would say for about almost a year, I finally told the Lord, I'm putting it up on the shelf. I don't see any open doors. Maybe I missed the timeline. But the next day, I kid you not, the very next day, the Lord led me to somebody who was doing a prevention ministry here. I knew her, but I hadn't seen her in two years. I wasn't sure she even still lived here and God connected us and she mentioned that the Lord had been working on her heart and she'd been praying that God would bring someone who could expand their ministry into a freedom ministry. And so just at that moment, a ministry idea was blossomed and we just began to work for a year. I was able to connect through um, our organization, you know, with Project Rescue, who was able to share some resources with me that just gave us guidance and helped us to structure this organization and basically fulfill certain steps where we knew we could be confident that we were ready to launch. What exactly are you doing with the victims with the safe house? What does that look like? So right now we are in the building relationships with the girls. So we go into the red light district. The team that I'm partnering with had received a grant to provide meals once a week, as well as vitamins and feminine products to them. So we had to, for the grant purpose, we had to gather data. So we have data on 50 women that we know their people group. We know how many children they have, how long they've been there, which cafe they're working in. Here, the cafe, the karaoke cafes are where they are, tra they are being trafficked and exploited. And so there's these two streets that have 58 cafes, small streets, mind you, they are just one after another. So we go there into their homes, actually, they're, 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 they're like apartments, but they're, or really rentable rooms within their house. And we go sit with them in their rooms and share the food. We always ask if we can pray with them. We've been able to delve a little deeper into their lives, gain their trust. They see the love of Jesus. Some of them have experienced healing through us praying with them. And they've opened up and shared that they want a different life but they just don't know how, they don't know where that will come from. So these women are in mind as we look to launch our safe house. We're still in the fundraising part of it. We have, I would say, half of the money we need to start. These women are not all going to come out. They're not all going to leave their life. But we want to just maintain relationships with them wherever they are in their journey and offer whatever we can to them at the place where they are. We also have good connections with the government and with the police. They know about us. They know what we can help them with. And so our hope is that they'll bring women to us as well. And then with the networking that we've done with other cities and other islands, we, we know that, that there will be women that will come from those areas as well. Absolutely. This is an incredible need and an incredible vision that God has given you. What do you need to raise those remaining funds? I mean, how much do you need total? Well, we're hoping for at least 25000 Originally, we started with a 17000 to fill the house, to get a five-year rental. But as we started looking at sustainability and what it was going to cost to keep open month to month, and we really want that to be nationally provided uh, the month to month. So we're looking at raising animals, vegetables, you know, and coming up with some different ways that we can have sustainability projects going. 
-hmm. However, the 25,000, we are at uh, 14,000 right now. That's fantastic. Wow. And is this safe house? I mean, I know you cannot give the location of it, but it is within the city. Is it like in, is it outside the city? Is it something where they can completely be free of the location or, or how does that work? So we have, we are not going to make the rental purchase just yet until the full funds are in for launching as well as probably about 50% of our monthly sustainability. But we have areas in mind. We're looking for outside the city. It's a little safer because our city is small. Everybody knows everybody. And we have to be very conscious of that for security purposes. We do hope to find something a little outside outside the city, but still accessible to public transportation so that these girls can get to where they need to go. But this is a dilemma. This is something we're praying about because security is important. Even though we are a small city, we're surrounded by port cities, millions and millions of people all around us. And so we're basically, the toll road goes right through our backyard where they transfer these women from place to place. And so we really feel we're in a strategic location, Mm -hmm. but because of the size of the city and the culture and how communal it is, we have to really guard the safety of the women and and the staff. Mm -hmm. Now, how many staff members do you have and how often can you go into the red light? Do you do it once a week or do you do it how often? Right now we have a team of six who are currently working on the safe house. We, we are hiring. Uh, we have hired our first, our project manager is what we'll call her. And she is going to be helping us with the hiring process of two house moms. We'll be hiring a counselor that... We're praying we can find a trauma-informed counselor, but we have some really good leads, so we're going to start interviewing. And we also will be hiring a guard for the property, probably a driver, and two caseworkers. These will be our initial staff as we get started. And our goal is to have six girls. That's what our budget allows for, and as we progress and grow, we hope to to be able to add more. Mm, That's fantastic. Now, with you guys going into the red light, I'm, you know, I'm sure COVID has affected you and, and what you can do and what you can't do, but how often are you able to go or have you been able to go during this time? Yes. In fact, I think our ministry increased during COVID rather than decreased. The district had open arms to us coming in. What we found there is that they do not really comply with mask wearing or social distancing. The cafes were shut down for a very long time and in some instances released the girls to go home. Um, But for those that stayed, struggled financially, and I think the food we were bringing and the vitamins were a welcome gift. So they were happy to let us into their homes and to speak with us. And really, I think a lot has begun. We've been able to pinpoint the believers in the area. As we go forward, we want to start some Bible studies. And a lot of these believers actually own the brothels. They actually own where these women live. So they don't necessarily, they're not the ones that keep them there. They're, they're not the ones that encourage their activity, but they are the ones that they take the rent for them. So they're influential. And our hope is to start some Bible studies with the owners of those brothels. Wow. That's amazing. And so when, when you think about the dreams that you had, how is this unfolding before your eyes? I mean, does this excite you to just see, wow, I had this and it was just stored in my heart as a dream you know, 2017, I'm thinking about this and now it's actually becoming a reality. I mean, what, what does that feel like? And what does that look like? Uh, It's been really neat because there was, there was one thing in particular in one of my dreams that was very odd uh, that I didn't, I almost was embarrassed of that, that part of my dream when I would tell people, because I thought, oh, this makes my dream just sound 
ridiculous, you know, but actually now I can see what that means for, there's a, there was this duck in my dream that helped me free these girls that I was um, trying to work with. And I couldn't understand why a duck was, was there. And actually that's become one of the main, main animals that we've discussed. I didn't even bring it up that my team said, we need to have ducks and we need to sell ducks from the house. It, it's, it was interesting to see that and, and realize that every part of the dream is really coming true from the resources that the Lord promised within the dream, as well as the opportunities. So it's neat. That is so exciting. I mean, who would have thought when you get a dream and you see something odd like that in your dream, that it would become something like a resource. That's really amazing. Now in this, uh, do you guys have something set up for the girls when they have the safe house or like helping them to become entrepreneurs or are you looking for people to invest in something like that? Or how, how is that function? Do you have a vision for that? Yes. So we, we have a full program that we'll provide for these girls that include trauma counseling, vocational training, life skills training, helping them get their GED. Most of them will probably not have finished school. So we want to help them work towards that. We have a lot in the, in the works, but we definitely want to help them find a skill that they want to do, that they love to do. We already have some things that we can plug and play, the sewing, um, that we can teach them sewing right away. We have a training center here that can take care of that, but not every woman wants to learn how to sew. Uh, so if they want to be a restaurant owner, if they want to go back to school, if they want to work in a salon, you know, we want to work with them to to find that. So we have some business owners that have that are in talks with us. We haven't finalized everything, but are are wanting to help in some way with training. But I think too, we want to take each girl and let her tell us what she wants to do, and then go look for those connections. Yes, there will be some basic skills that they will learn how to raise these animals and and vegetables and eggs and how to sell them. And we're going to teach them to smoke meat and hopefully sell to some restaurants. They'll go away with multiple skills, but our hope is that they go, that when they leave the program, they are full of hope that that's been restored, that trust has been restored, and confidence. How long is that program? Is it a year, two years, three years? What, what does it look like? For the basis of having a plan, we, we are going to keep it at one year to begin with, and then as we move through, we'll see what we need to adjust. Now, if people wanted to either give or they wanted to come and spend a year of their life maybe to help you with this safe house, how possible is it? How would they connect with you and to be a part of something like this? Yeah, so we would love to have help, especially in areas of expertise. So if there is somebody who has a counseling degree or has the ability to contribute to working, walking with girls that have been traumatized or even sustainability projects, if they know how to get those started and keep them running, we would love that type of expertise. The, because here the language is in the national language, it's very difficult for someone to just come from the States and really build relationships with the women. What we have available would be more of a consulting type, you know, mm -hmm. opportunities, except with counseling, we can translate for counseling. So it's not ideal, but it's better than maybe some of the options that are here right now. This is just kind of off subject, but what, what would be the funniest experience you've ever had that just made you guys laugh so hard? And I would say it happened at the beginning in 2013. We had gone on our first date on our own out in the town. We had very little language under our belts. And we thought we could handle ordering our food. <laughs> so we went to an Indian restaurant and 
they had displayed a small bottle of water and a large bottle of water. And so we ordered the large bottle of water and we ordered it just with we, you know, one large water, please. And we used the word for large and water. And then he looked very confused and he just gave that look. So of course, in our American mind, he couldn't hear us well. So we raised our voices louder, you know, increased the volume. We want a large water. And he just had this mortified look on his face. And so he brought the menu to us and asked us to look at it. And we found where it said, you know, large water. It didn't actually say that, but it said aqua. So we're like, okay, that's that's what we want. But we did our hand signals, you know, we want a big one. And so he's like, oh, and he laughed and he left. And he brings us a large water and our food and we go about as normal. We get home and go to bed. And about two in the morning, my husband sits straight up in bed and goes, oh my goodness, we ordered a poop. And I was like, what? <laughs> and he goes, a large water is poop in, in this language. And so it was a mortifying. And we talked to a few more people and like, that's like the number one mistake. You can't. Yeah, there's several different things we could have done differently. And we've learned now how to order water. That is an interesting word. And when you ask them, why do you call this a big water? We learn little water means, you know, going number one, <laughs> number one and number two. And the reason is how much water it takes to flush the toilet. So if you have a little water, then it's number wow. one. And if you have big water, it's number two. That is amazing. The things you know as you go. That may not be appropriate conversation. No, I love it. because It's a real conversation, something that people don't normally think about. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever, and I'm, I'm sure there's been times that you have felt this way. Has there ever been times in, since 2013 that it's just like, I'm done. I'm, I feel like, you know, I, why am I here? Have you ever struggled with any of those thoughts? I think, you know, when people hear that it's, it, it's not a negative thing, but it makes them realize that that is something that you're going to deal with at times when you're, even when you're going forward in your dreams and casting your dreams. But have you guys ever felt at times like, okay, maybe we just go back or we're done or we go on. How did you get through those things? You know, we did. We had a really rough first year for multiple reasons. I feel like honestly, all hell broke loose against us. And the longer I live here, the more I see that at least in this country, it tends to be the workers experience here when they first come. It is like Satan just works overtime to cause you to feel that frustrated and just that you need to go home, that you can't do this. You don't have what it takes. Uh, there's too many difficult things coming all at once because they, there can be big things, but it's also those microaggressors. <laughs> I'd call them every day. This is broken. This has to be fixed and we don't know where to go. We can't ask for help. And our credit card, you know, just got uh, declined because the company in the U.S. assumed that there was fraud on it. And so now I can't pay my bill. And those kind of little problems that arise that can just wipe you out when you already feel like you're guarding off the attacks in a large way. So in our first term here, uh, my husband got really ill. He lost weight rapidly. We couldn't figure out what was happening. And we were in a city that didn't have great medical care. And we weren't really sure what we were able to do to get help. We didn't know we could just go fly to another country to seek help. We just felt powerless in what he was experiencing. He lost nearly 40 pounds just within wow. weeks. And he was lethargic and 
um, it was almost cyclical when he would start to, the fever would go away and he would start to feel a little stronger. We would kind of go, oh, okay, so now you're getting better. But then it would hit again and we would go through another several days of difficulty where he was losing more weight. And we really weren't sure what was going on. Finally, some leadership stepped in and was able to help guide us to leave the country and go get tested. So we did that. We were able to go to another country and basically they told us he had three things going on. He had stage four typhoid, which is has a 20% death rate at stage four typhoid typhoid. His brain was swollen. His kidneys were swollen. His heart was swollen. He was not talking coherently. He was smelling phantom smells and it was really scary. And so he was in the hospital for, it was nine days the first time. And they also said he had a bacterial gut infection as well as parasites. So they, he had a lot going on. They sent us back home when he seemed to be in a clear, but then it all started again. It was that cyclical issue happening again. And so he went back. I think they just told him they could they could run tests and he could stay in the hotel. And so he stayed for another week. And we changed the way we were praying. We started having our friends started telling us he's been cursed by a witch doctor. This is so clear, the symptoms, everything. We, we had had an, a dead animal put on our front porch, which does mean you had been cursed, but we didn't know that at the time. And so we changed the way we were praying. Instead of just asking the Lord to heal us and we started praying against any weapon of the enemy against us. We got our prayer team praying against the enemy, taking authority over him and just putting on our shield of faith and, and, and using scripture against the enemy. And he woke up one morning um, at the hotel. He put his feet on the ground out of the bed and he said, something's different. I am completely whole. All of everything came back. His strength, his, his ability to think clearly, his ability to eat um, and keep it down. And the doctor said, you're better. You can go home. And he came back and we didn't struggle with that anymore. So I can't really know what had taken place and what happened, but I know that God healed him through that time. There was a lot of other things going on. We had the culture shock of being in, in the country. We had the near death. Our son had typhoid as well. Uh, he had 104 fever as a little boy, five-year-old, and multiple visa issues. I think we left the country five times in the first year just because of visa issues. And so that kind of stress and concern and other other issues that you just can't anticipate were there. And we the city wasn't even the right city for us. Where we were at was not where our family needed to be. And God was speaking to us very clearly that we needed to request to move. And so we did. Our leadership was so supportive and they moved us and we, we got better. Our kids were, you know, started thriving. But I will you ask, like, how did you stick it out? Right before everything started, the Lord gave me a passage in scripture that didn't make sense to me at the time. But I, I came across it over and over and over and knew that it was for something. It just that at the beginning didn't make sense to me. So I wrote it down. I stuck it up on my mirror, just continued to come across it in scripture. And then at the moment where our leadership said to us, do you want to go home? He, he just said, let's just be real. I'm taking off my boss hat and I'm talking to you as a friend. Where are you at? What do you want to do? And immediately that scripture came flooding into my mind. And that scripture is about going back. 
if you stay here, I will establish you. If you stay here, I will bless you. But if you go back, and then there's a lot there. It's in Deuteronomy. I really felt like the Lord was telling us, if you stay here, I will plant you. I will establish you. Um, but if you go back, you, it says you will never return to this land. And I, as much as every emotion and fiber of our being wanted to leave, and we craved safety, I think. We craved feeling support and, and friendship and you know, being able to just live in what we knew before, but the Lord had given me early on this passage. And at that right moment, the Holy Spirit, you know, prompted my heart. And we looked at our boss and we said, no, we're called and we want to stay. And so he said, okay, I'll make it happen. And he moved us so that we could be in a better place that fit our family and our children. The Lord just redeemed from that moment on. That's incredible. So when you guys moved to the other city, did you have any other people there that were cheering you on or were you alone or how did that happen? Our mentor was there and he he has a church, an international church, and he was just incredible. And he put us right into the ministry that was already functioning there. And we just really had a, a year of healing. He was a great support and gave us a space. And really, we thought we'd stay there forever. But the education became the issue, the loneliness for my kids. That then our leadership asked us to move a third time and to be able to go to language school and for our children to be able to have an international school. And in that move, that third move, which I cried all night because I really thought, oh man, he missed it. Like I trust my boss, but he missed it. Our family cannot handle another move. This is too much for only having been here for two years. But I just felt like God wanted me to trust him. He had been trustworthy as a as our leader for the last two years that, you know, I felt like the Lord just said, you can trust him. So we moved to this city feeling like it, honestly, that it was a huge mistake. But when we got here and our kids got into the school and the ministry opportunities were clear, we knew that the Lord had really used our boss, our area director to to get us exactly where we needed to be because for the first time our entire family was was thriving and that it really became a theme for us that I wish we would have known before we came into overseas work but that is if it's not right for the whole family it's not right and we have to look at our kids and how they're doing emotionally and physically and the wife has to be considered and how she's doing emotionally and physically and the husband has to be considered and so as we can look back at the steps and where God led us, uh, those were major factors. And, you know, it would be my advice to anyone living overseas is that your family as a unit is serving the Lord there and he wants health and wholeness for every member of the family. And so to seek God to make that true for a whole family. Now we're there and it's a blessing. So if there was a young family that is wanting to do what you guys did back in 2013, and you had the opportunity to share with them, you know, let me just tell you some pitfalls or some encouragement, uh, how you're going to make it. What would you say, you know, you gave a, just a little piece of advice there, but what, what else would you say to that young family of how to establish yourself and how to make it and how to survive? What are some of the key points for you guys? I would say reaching out to your leadership is vital to talk about what you're going through, to not be afraid to let your leadership in on the struggles that your family is facing. That can be intimidating, but it's really important to have open, honest conversations with each other and really considering your kids, talk to your kids about what they're going through, how they're feeling, and bring the leadership into those conversations. 
and, and fast and pray. And I will say too, a major factor in our success on the field is our prayer team back home. While we were fundraising and we had this massive budget to raise and wondered if it could be done, I had another worker say to me, hey, don't worry about building your funds. You need to build a prayer team. You build an intercessory team and God will build your funds. And so we took that on and we, we began fasting and praying for our funds. He said, strive in prayer and fasting for your funds. So that's what we did. We, we prayed and fasted. The Lord opened up opportunities. We had a unique issue of not being able to itinerate the, in the normal fashion. And so we, we prayed and fasted. We got a prayer team of 150 people. They were praying for us. We had a group every day of the week praying for us. And wow. throughout that whole ordeal, I was able to know that on Monday, 15 people are covering me in prayer and I could reach out to them um, and let them know. And I, I know that that young man that gave me that advice, the Lord knew what was coming and he knew that, that this was a spiritual battle. And we were going to need the Lord's divine protection and divine wisdom. And so I feel like that's the single most important thing we did before coming overseas was developing that prayer team. I, that's what I would encourage someone to do. And then, you know, be honest with their leadership. Don't be afraid to share what's going in. Because what we saw once we did that was they had seen some of the things we were going through many times before. And they knew how to handle it. They knew how to help. And we just needed to be bold and talk to our leaders. So we've learned a lot and we've grown a lot and we're ready to stay the long haul here. Mm -hmm. Now you guys have been there eight years. What would you say is the most exciting success of your time there and what you've learned the most in eight years? And I know that you guys are there for the long haul. So you're going to see great fruit in the future. You're going to see different things happen and uh, there's going to be more exciting and fruitful days ahead. But Right now, if you could say one thing that you feel has been just the most exciting thing, the turning point for you, what would it be? Well, I definitely feel that the fruit of living here has been slow in coming. Living overseas for us with so much transition has really been a struggle. There wasn't a lot of fruit to, to boast about. It was really more of, hey, praise God, he got us through and he... He's, he's given us a love for the people here. And I would say that's been very exciting is just how God has changed our hearts towards the people that we serve um, and has given us a true desire to serve them and serve them well. It is something that maybe some people that comes easy for them, but for us, it was with the trials that we were enduring, it was really hard to focus on the people around us. It was really hard to not be inwardly focused, um, but the Lord really healed us and delivered us and gave us an outward perspective. And in that, and in the even the COVID crisis, I just can't even believe how much ministry has sprung out of it, where we thought it was going to be the end of any little thing that we were starting. It actually, to watch him work, has built my faith and my trust that he has called us here. Sometimes we have to kind of go back to that. Lord, is this really what you're asking of me? And to see these dreams unfolding, um, just as, as they were in my dream, it, it, it's exciting to see that fruit. So right now, we don't have the house set up yet, right? We don't have 10 girls that have gotten free from 
human trafficking yet. And so I think one day we're going to be able to look back and say, this is amazing. But what we have right now that the Lord has done is use this COVID crisis. We have a learning center now where we are walking with families that are in the red light district, providing Wi-Fi and computers for their kids to do their school. We just are going to be starting a music and art program. We're teaching them English. In the midst of this past 2020 year, I would say that's where I've seen fruit that I that I can just be excited about. But when I look back at the, the other six years of us being here, I would have to say it's what he's done in us that was exciting. It's how he showed himself to be our deliverer, how he showed himself to be our healer, the Lord, and that we have lots of testimony now to share with those around us who want to know that God is a personal God. And he cares about your children. He cares about your health. And, and we can confidently pray with our national partners here that the Lord sees he hears, he loves, he answers. And we can say that very confidently. And so, yeah, it's not big numbers of anything, but it is impact in our lives. And what I feel now going forward, we're better prepared to really confidently profess the love of Jesus to those around us. That's amazing, Tammy. I just want to say thank you so much for your years of service, coming and devoting yourself and your entire family to this cause. And just loving people, even through difficult times. I, I think you're very much a hero in the faith and you have so much wisdom to share with others that really want to take that leap as well. And I just so appreciate what you're doing right now. And I do believe that your vision for the safe house is going to not just happen, but it's going to be full and it's going to be reproduced around uh, your country and, and it's going to go beyond your borders. So I think that you really have to put together this um, game plan of how you're going to share this with other leaders that have the same heart and the same passion and how they can do it as well. I really see it being a structural game plan for multiple places around your country and, and maybe even beyond that, those borders. So I am so excited that you were able to share with us today and just about your life, your life story and your journey and especially New Beginning Safe House. So thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Bridget. I appreciate the time and I certainly appreciate the encouragement um, and you speaking that in my life. I accept that and, and it is my heart to see. So yeah, amen. Thank you. I believe that there's going to be more young ladies that have this burning call and desire in their heart um, to do much of the same what you're doing right now. So thank you so much for blazing a trail and and pioneering this work and not giving up. So appreciate you so much. And I thank you for your friendship. I'm really glad that we have become closer in the last couple of years as we've gotten to know each other. You're inspirational to me, and I'm so excited to see what's going to happen in the future. Wow. Thank you, Bridget. I appreciate that. I, I treasure our relationship as well, and I know that it's God-ordained. So thank you for your your wisdom and advice and just hearing you in our TARP meetings. It's it's very much an encouragement. When I, when I look at all that you've accomplished even before coming overseas and having your SEALS ministry, just how God can start something and grow it and birth it to become global is an encouragement to me. So thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us today on Truth Be Known. And I just bless your family, the boys and the girls in the States right now. And I know that your kids are going to do great things too. You have raised great children and you've prioritized them 
and they're going to accomplish so much and they already are but i know there's great days ahead for them so thank you for joining us today and i believe that there's going to be great days ahead so thank you thank you bridget thank you tammy for sharing with our truth be known audience today about your journey to create a safe place for the marginalized and victimized of your city in southeast asia and your wise nuggets of truth for those who also carry that same passion We will put on our Truth Be Known site how to donate to this amazing cause and even a way to get connected to show Tammy your support for this life-giving ministry. Thank you, friends, for listening to Truth Be Known. And go to truthbeknown.org to find out more about our future episodes and guests that will be joining us each week. You can always find us on your favorite streaming service. And don't forget to let the truth be known.